Welcome to Gospel Central, where we help ministry-minded Christians to think through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We are here to discuss how this gospel is the very heart of the Christian faith, how it empowers ministry and life. We are your hosts. I'm Ed. And I'm Simon. And we are glad to have you listening in as we consider all kinds of practical and theological topics through the lens of the gospel. So Simon, it's nice to have you here with us uh, today. Ed, it's great to see you again, even though I have to see you over Zoom, but glad that we can be together talking. I'm, I'm glad about that too. Um, we are here today to speak on the topic of gospel and church culture. So you just want to see how the gospel, uh, which is the life and resurrection of Jesus, life, death and resurrection of Jesus, is going to actually be impacting how we do church. Um, but before that, maybe we should just define what is church culture. So Simon, what would you say is church culture? Well, culture, I think, is notoriously difficult to define. But I think one of the best ways to understand it is culture is understood by what is felt or experienced in a group of people uh, or in an organization. So it's often understood by what is loved, what's celebrated, what may be implicitly avoided. So it's sometimes hard to wrap your finger on because it's a lot more than just the rules and regulations, although those do affect culture, but it's rather that shared experience that people um, feel. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Um, and um, I think culture, you often have this um, concrete expressions, right? I mean, like uh, what you do, what your habits um, but at the same time, it seems like culture is often very much connected to our hearts. What we actually, like what you point out, what we love and what we actually celebrate or what we actually implicitly hate or dislike. Um, I think people are actually very good at sensing who you are and what you do um, instead of just what you say. Um, That's right. But just to um, like um, segue a little bit into... Um, the next question, but you might you often you have this quote that you read somewhere, which is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Would you like to explain that a little bit? Oh yeah, I think that's um, from the from the fam- famous business person Peter Drucker, who spoke about that because I think often organizations talk a lot about strategy, what they want to try and achieve, and how they want to try and get there. And I think his point is that it's very possible to have a strategy, maybe a vision or mission statement that we plaster on the walls. This is what we say that we want to be. But the actual experience on the ground of what you celebrate, what you love, what people feel in the organization, that actually drives your behavior and and results in you accomplishing things far more than what you just put up on a wall. And so I think Drucker's point is that many of us may feel like if we can define organizational goals and how we're going to get there, we'll just naturally achieve them. But actually what's often far more, what's a far more powerful determinant of whether or not we get where we're going is actually the kind of experience people have when they're a part of the organization. And so that's why it's actually far more important for us to give attention to. As far as I know, you do actually have a little bit of history with, uh, the idea of a church culture. Um, yeah. Because um, you used to come from a church where they emphasize a lot on church culture. And from my observation, you went through a phase in uh, the early days of uh, Redemption Hill Church where you kind of chosen not to talk about it at all. 
Um, so maybe you can speak to this a little bit of your own history of this. Um, what are the, would you say, ways we can over overemphasize culture, or sometimes we can be underemphasizing it? And how have you like changed over the years in how you think about church culture? That's a great question. I think the church that I grew up in had a very strong church culture and used to talk a lot about the kind of people we are, what we love, what we do, our values. Um, and in fact, one of the things that happened in, in that family of churches what, was that there was a never-ending list of values that just kept getting added to. So I think at one stage they were listed in like a, a circular for a whole bunch of churches and there were like 87 values mentioned or something. I mean, it was like, it was like, it was a long, long list, man. Um, but in a sense that kind of, that kind of captured the sense that they were like a values driven, driven people, which was very, very wonderful in many ways. Uh, and I appreciate that. I think where I felt like I reacted against that a little bit was, I think when you talk only about culture and values, but that's not very clearly tied to doctrine, to what you believe, to the truth of God's word. It can feel sometimes like there is an overemphasis on who you are as a people, as opposed to God and who he is and what he's commanded us to do. And it can become a little bit kind of introspective and and um, kind of self-absorbed. And so I think when, sorry, and then in addition to that, I think, a danger can be that when you elevate a value, so what often happens with values is that you try and define them in a short, pithy way so that they kind of capture something that you want to portray. But when those values become an ultimate authority in an organization, they can end up actually trumping scripture or the word of God uh, in a very kind of odd way. Because even though you understand that those values have hopefully sprung from scripture, they're often not as nuanced as scripture is itself. But when those values get celebrated above everything else, then you, you, you can find yourself in a funny situation where you you can feel like actually fidelity to the Bible's being uh, undermined by those values. So I think that was what probably made me react a little bit more. But I'd love to know, what did you, what did you notice about the early years of ROT that made you identify that? So what I'm hearing you saying is that um, when you oversight when you overemphasize culture, um, there can be a tendency then to talk about the church, the identity of the church, and the right. values of the church in a way that is actually separated from what the Bible says and what what and what Jesus has done for us. That's right. I don't think that that has uh, to be the case, but that is a that is a danger that can yeah. happen. And what I observe in the earlier days of RC is that we have actually we well not from RIC point of view because uh, we didn't share your previous church culture, but uh, but you have chosen not to talk about church, uh, the, the culture of RIC like in the very direct way. I mean, by, whether it's in sermon or whether it's actually in members meeting or even in prayer meeting, it's kind of like, okay, we are just here to just preach the gospel and that's it. That's, 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 that's what we do, right? right. <laughs> there's nothing else that we do, okay? Um, so, but... Since then, you have a change of mind. So maybe you can you can say you can. So you kind of reacted to your previous church experience a little bit, but now um, your your mindset have obviously shifted a, a bit again. So uh, could you just share with us about how you go, went through that journey? Yes, uh, I think you're right. I, I probably did react a little bit to that and just wanted to focus on the gospel itself. And I guess my thought mm. was that uh, mm. that if we just preach the gospel, it'll just naturally produce the kind of 
perfect church culture that we want. And okay. that's a kind of very naive view, I think. Uh, I think what I've come to realize over the last number of years is that it is a leader's responsibility to create a kind of culture and to very explicitly show how that gospel that is at the center and that we right. do uh, uh, prize actually fleshes itself out in that culture. So I wouldn't say it's a massively different view. We certainly want to keep the gospel at the center, right. but I think we want to make sure that we are helping people see the connection mm. between what the gospel is and how that should mm. shape these uh, practices and experiences and the vibe and the tone and the feel mm. of our church in a very explicit way instead of mm. just hoping that that naturally develops somehow. Um, mm. And so I, th I think that's why you, you've probably noticed that we've become a little bit more explicit in trying to mm. flesh these things out as a church. I guess that the, the idea is that we, instead of just allowing things to run its natural course, yes. um, uh, we just should be very aware that it's very possible for what we actually confess with our lips to be very different from what we actually do. So, right. um, which is why there is some intentionality in the end that we need to actually apply to actually shape uh, the, the culture of the church through um, thinking about what does gospel imply for it. That's right. Um, but but we are going to actually down, now talk about how the gospel should affect church culture in a minute. Um, but maybe at a maybe we can just take a step back to think about okay so if culture is something that's felt right I mean like yes. not not so tangible what would actually be a normative experience of someone um, who in this kind of culture that's shaped by the grace that's received you know through the death and resurrection of Jesus um, be um, um, what what does it feel like what's the norm normative experience of such a person. That's a great question. Uh, I think, I think firstly, what we could say is that someone who's kind of living very aware of the gospel, and that's shaping their experience. I think there are many aspects we could say. The first would probably say is they're very conscious of God's grace. So there's a sense where God's grace that's been like lavished upon them, poured out upon them, is at the forefront of their minds, and that's one of the primary categories that they're using to think. Um, about God and it's not as though they are living under a sense all the time that God is just out to get them and that every now and again he dispenses a little bit of grace so probably conscious of God's grace that's one thing I'd say conscious um, of God's grace yeah what would you add to that uh, I think that just also that because um, we are conscious of God's grace and not in a merely theoretical way or in a way that is that's that makes it cheap. I mean, there's a, there's a way to think about God's grace in a way that is just merely about how God has done everything to forgive me. Um, I think there's really this personal ownership of how um, we have actually sinned against God. I mean, like, um, so it's not about others, but it's about myself. Recognizing the darkness of my personal sin, right? Of how I've worshipped idols instead of God truly. But then as a result, cause hurt and destruction to those around me in my own life. And I, I think... I think that, and, and when you recognize that darkness, God's grace become amazing because how can he actually love a sinner such as I? As I? And I think that, um, that that actually really helps, I mean, putting these two together, which is the wonderful grace of God and yet also my own personal sinfulness and recognizing that um, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I, I guess that's part of um, the normative experience of this kind of church culture. Um, yeah. 
I think that's great. Um, I really liked how you phrased that by saying that we become aware of our own sin, because I think sometimes churches can be very sin conscious, but we're very sin conscious in a self-righteous way where we're aware of everyone else's sin. But I think a, a good gospel culture actually helps you not to see and point out other sin as much as an awareness of your own failings. So when you're in conversations or, or disputes with people or any difficulty, your first reaction is to look at your own heart and recognize your own sin from a hard point of view. And I think what's powerful is the gospel gives you the resources to actually confess your sin and admit that. So you're able to share with people, hey, this is where I'm wrong. This is, um, please, can you forgive me? And so there's like a freedom to actually talk about your own sin and confess that. So that's definitely another mark. What else would you say um, are kind of normative experiences of someone who's in a culture shape? Well, I think that when you just have this wonderful... um view of God's grace and also this very deep view of your own personal um, culpability, so to speak. Um, I think um, apart from also just what you mentioned about vulnerability, um, there's also this really sense of a natural sense of thankfulness to God for what he has done for me. And and as a result, I mean, actually not only just thanks, Thanksgiving, right, but rejoicing as well. I think there's a joy that is used for so um, I guess that um, maybe to put it this way, it's like when a church is filled with individuals who are experiencing this together, when you enter into um, the uh, assembly of such people, what you sense is actually this like rejoicing, but not in a triumphalistic way where people are kind of like pointing to themselves, see how great I am, but they're actually pointing to God to say how great he is at the same time um, that actually is characterized by humility on their part. I think a verse that comes to my mind I always like is actually in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says that we preach Jesus as Lord, that His greatness, but we as your servants, which is actually the humility side of it, right? So I think, um, yeah, I, when, 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 you, when a church is filled with individuals who have that kind of mindset, I feel that that's, we are on a way to actually build a church culture that is actually uh, shaped by the gospel. That's really, really wonderful. Um, I love the way that these three things intersect, right? Because you've got you conscious, we're saying part of the normative experience, a great consciousness of God's grace, a recognition of our own personal sin, and then a rejoicing in what God's done. And I guess a good gospel culture has all three of these together, right? Because it's possible to be very aware of your own sin, but in a way that actually doesn't lead your eyes to the Savior, mm-hmm. um, just actually makes you feel terrible about yourself and mm. feel guilty and withdraw from God. Um, but in a proper gospel culture, there is a sense of gladness and rejoicing. Our sin doesn't crush, it crushes us in a way that leads us to rejoice in our Savior. So I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess what I can talk about now is that if the, if church is actually filled with people who are experiencing this, um, that's what we are shooting for. I'm not saying that that's where we are, <laughs> actually. Um, but um, what are the some of the ways that um, the rest of the church culture, so to speak, can be really be impacted um, by this okay well so in a sense we're, we're saying like what are some of the signs or uh the ways that this fleshes out i think in many ways maybe the first to talk about is a culture in the church of biblical reconciliation uh and personal mm-hmm. vulnerability so mm-hmm. maybe the first of those vulnerability people are very willing to confess their own sins they don't right. feel like um the confession of sin is bitter or difficult or it's like mm. something's being extracted from them, but they're kind of quick mm. to admit 
where they were wrong, what they how they've sinned against God, where their heart led them right. astray. So that mm-hmm. becomes very freeing in a church culture. And then mm-hmm. that obviously affects our sense of reconciliation. Um, mm-hmm. In any church culture, sorry, in any church, there's going to be difficult relationships. Relationships are going to go wrong at times. A, a, a gospel church culture doesn't mean that there's no difficulties or, or, or conflicts, but it's the way that mm-hmm. those get resolved where people are not primarily pointing fingers at the others. They're owning their own sin. They genuinely mm-hmm. are seeking to understand the other person. Um which becomes very, very beautiful. So I would say vulnerability and biblical reconciliation um, are definitely ways that that fleshes out. Ed, how would you see uh, gospel, like the gospel affecting church culture in terms of like worship services, songs we sing, liturgy, those kinds of things? Well, before I actually talk about that, I just want to double click a little bit on your uh, sure. biblical reconciliation and vulnerability. Um, what I actually observed from my own church experience is that um, last time, wow, I mean, for people to reconcile biblically is almost dramatic and, and interpreted as a sign of revival okay. in my previous uh, church experience. You know, it consists of like people like, I don't know, kneeling, uh, you know, <laughs> or even okay. prostrating to, to seek for forgiveness. It's, it's fairly dramatic. But uh, I mean, when coming to Redemption Hill Church, I, I just noticed how how biblical reconciliation in terms of just what you say is that owning our own sin and all that it doesn't have to be dramatic actually right. it, it, it can be fairly regular in fact it's just and, and in fact I think it really shows really that it, how it gets, gets to the heart you know being without being overly dramatic or performative so to speak which I think is really nice and I've noticed how really encouraged by how CG small groups people are willing to share their struggles in a very vulnerable way. Fantastic. I think that's all signs of actually what we really want to go for. Um, so back to what you asked me about um, corporate worship. Um, I think it does seem that um, we are doing this. Maybe this, this is like, I mean, I, we have alluded to this a little bit, right? Which is like um, when, when we actually gather to worship, what we speak of, um, it's not actually really kind of talking about ourselves, right? Talking about how great we are, right? Um, even even testimonies, I guess, can uh, can run the risk of that, where we point to, we we overemphasize on how much we have changed and transformed, yes. Instead of actually talking about God's grace, right, and what He has done for me, right? Um. So um, so in terms of uh, corporate worship, um, what we have. D- Done, I think is very helpful is to, for example, do regular confession and assurance of, right? Yep. And which is to, I think that's a very important signal to the rest of the church, which is say that, hey guys, repentance is not something that is actually dramatic, yes. irregular, but it's actually, I mean, we spoke about this before, but which is something that's actually really, the gospel actually invites us to do this on a daily or even regular, regular way. And having to be able to do that weekly in a church is just fantastic because we're just saying that, look, God is always just inviting us and awaiting us for us to come back to Him. And we are being real to Him. He knows we are sinners even before we come to Him, right. but He's ever ready to forgive. I, I think that's something great. And of course, that means that the songs we sing as well would have some sort of content that actually points back to God's redemptive love. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, we can talk about more, but I think those are the things that actually will 
be affecting how we worship together as well. Yeah, that's great. I think you, when we try to plan out our services, we've thought about many little gospel cycles in the service. But God's calling us, we're confessing during our singing, we're making sure our songs are reflecting the gospel as well. In our corporate prayers, we're referring to God's grace and Christ's forgiveness and praying in line with that communion that would come through in the preaching. So there's many like gospel cycles of seeing God's glory, seeing our own sin, being assured of his forgiveness. And that's just kind of weaving itself through the service again and again. Um, that's great. And I want to say then would be the connection between, you know, um, this kind of church culture and, and discipleship. Uh, well, I think we would understand discipleship as being something that happens through the gospel. So I think about Colossians 1 that says that um, people grew, that the gospel was bearing fruit in people's lives um, as they came to understand the grace of God and all of its truth. And they learned this from Epaphras. So I guess discipleship is coming alongside one another to help us um, understand God's grace and his truth and then flesh that out in our lives. What this means is when we are discipling people, helping them follow Jesus, we're not just giving them a list of things to do, but we're helping them see how the work of Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection, is actually the power to obey the commands of God. And so it means all our discipleship is getting back to the heart all the time. Um, and so and through what Jesus has done for us, worshiping, loving, trusting God, so that our obedience, which we, which is very important, is the obedience of faith and not the obedience of fear. So I think that's that's how that affects discipleship, but I'm, I'm sure you've got something to add to that. I think that uh, the gospel also helps with, um, well, what I would say would be the democrat, uh, democratization of um, discipleship. Right. Because um, traditionally, discipleship will often be seen as a mentor-mentee kind of relationship. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, being mentored by um, someone who has gone further in the faith is yeah. uh, definitely something that um, would be helpful. And But I think sometimes we, but I think the danger is that sometimes we then place the power of change or the power of the fruit of that relationship in terms of just being helped by someone who is more experienced. So um, you have kind of a, a kind of a, a, a kind of ageism that's actually going on down there, right? Um, but um, the the fruit really comes from the gospel itself. So come come from us pointing each other to Jesus, and so this what this implies for discipleship is that th this is something that actually all believers can actually engage in. We can actually really help the disciple one another, even for the one who has just actually entered into the faith, because God is actually working in him. He has trusted in Jesus, and based right. on his understanding of the gospel, how is actually fleshing on his life. That can even be help helping a more seasoned believer who is like, wow, actually, I have seen that in my life before, but I kind of have moved away from that, and now I think I'm just encouraged by this brother who has who has found his faith, and I'm now moved to actually like rekindle this fire in my heart again. I, I think that's how that can be how it works in, as well, and how we disciple one another. That's a brilliant example. I think sometimes at church we've spoken about how in the traditional model you would think that if an 18-year-old NS boy got together with a 60-year-old businessman, <laughs> the discipleship would all happen one-to-one, -one, like, sorry, would happen in one direction right. from the businessman to the 18-year-old NS boy. Hmm. But in a gospel culture, the NS boy who loves Jesus um, and is able to show how God's at work in his life can be a profound encouragement and actually help the businessman um, see 
how God's grace applies to some of his own unique struggles and challenges. And there can be mutual encouragement, even though the one is vastly more experienced than the other. So that's a really, really great example. Um, tell, does the gospel speak to whether or not churches are more kind of program driven uh, or maybe have more like ground up initiatives, Ed? Well, um, I think that if we think about gospel centrality as we've been speaking of it, which is that the real power of change and all the, the power to bear fruit comes from the message of who Jesus is and what he's done for us itself. Um, there can be a very strong tendency in churches to over um, over reliance on programs. Um, yep. I think that some structure is helpful. I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, otherwise uh, Sunday wouldn't even happen. I mean, we need to make sure that somebody uh, uh, appointed and organized to actually do the service, right? But um, no, no matter how, how what's your view of, of that. Um, but on the other hand, we can actually be so overly programmatic that um, we are actually driving the church through, you know, events, um, happening, I think, I mean, more, most evidently they can be through holding um, evangelistic events like regularly throughout the years where you're you're pushing the church to invite people to come and hear the gospel instead of, um, for example, um, you know, just teaching the gospel in a way that helping people to get the grace of God in their heart in such a way that people look at those around them and feel that I really want to share this joy of knowing God with them. Or it helps them to see that, wow, they are really lost um, apart from the grace of God and without hope. And I really want to share with them because I see their plight, but I know the power of God. And and, I, and, 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 and this way we're talking about is that then we're helping people to be motivated from their hearts because of how um, God's grace has changed them, right? Um, and, and so... More broadly speaking, then that means that we we would actually really like to see a church being more um, filled with ground up initiatives where people are reaching to their neighbors on their own without being told to. In a sense, um, I feel that that actually speaks to the fruit of a gospel culture. That's fantastic. Okay, well, moving on then. Um, have you seen ways that a church culture can be disconnected from the gospel? Um. I think that's definitely true, right? Because just as um, Isaiah says that it's possible for us to worship God with our lips and yet our hearts are far from Him, it's definitely possible for a church to profess that we are, you know, um, how should I put it? Uh, we, are, we are preaching the gospel, sending the gospel, and yet we, we don't. I right. think um, one of the things, that, maybe it's a very minor thing, but it's a very Singaporean thing I found in uh, even pockets of Redemption Hill Church, is that People find it hard to say no okay. when actually they have absolutely the freedom to. Okay. Um, I think it's kind of part of Singapore culture where we interpret what's going on um, in terms of even our relationship with leadership, um, in terms of living our lives in light of what they expect us to do and not okay. really not really being um, fueled by what, what pleases God or you know, by the grace of God. I think an example of that would be that when we see um, our leaders at a certain level and bar, I think that's one of the things we, we have to fight with, is that they then interpret it as that, whoa, I actually need to actually reach a certain kind of level before I, actually, I right. can be a leader, right? But then that's, that's not necessarily the case. You know, this is like, um, that, that is in a sense of how God can be using everyone in a unique way 
right? You don't need to be used in exactly the same way. So when you say yes, you also need to know what exactly you are saying yes to. And when you say no, you need to know what you're saying no to. I guess those are the kind of uh, parameters I'm thinking about that affects the pockets of our church. But you may have something to say about uh, more broadly, what does it look like when people don't actually um, like um, connect what they do in church to the gospel? Well, I think when I think back to RHG's history, there were definitely mm. times where some of our practices that we were trying to uh, do it as a church were not being linked very explicitly to the gospel in our teaching. So in a sense, we could say like there were a whole lot of implications of the gospel, maybe like church membership or how we live together as the body of Christ that we think are implications of the gospel and they do spring from what Jesus did. But And we were teaching on those things and explaining them a lot uh, but we didn't always bring them back to the gospel itself and mm-hmm. show how right. this was a real implication of the gospel. And I think what that means is that even the good biblical practices that we should be doing out of obedience to Jesus can end up feeling a little bit tight or hard or misunderstood or maybe not saturated with grace because we're not showing people how this really does connect to the gospel. So I, it, it's a good reminder to me that you can have a church that in many ways is very biblical and you're urging people to live a biblical life, but there's not that feeling of grace and rejoicing in God's grace with the gospel culture because you're not doing the the work of showing how Mm. this connects to the gospel. So that's uh, another example. And I get that um, this lack of lingering over lingering and saturating yourself in in the grace of God, you know, not really... Um, kind of only have a cognitive idea that we are sons and daughters of God, but not really living in that reality. Right. And so that so we yes. do things, but the motivations actually have not really changed. Um, and another example would really be of this is that um, while we can be a God, the church that preaches the gospel, preaches grace, um, but people can still be filled with I think come can come to topics with a legalistic mindset. Um, and uh, the, the example yeah. would be would be like how often how many times um, we can have a, we wish you can have a, at least a hundred dollars for each time we ask this question where people ask you how far can we go in dating how far is too far right, <laughs> um, right. and and what that question really betrays the mindset is that what is the line that we can actually move as close to as we like to without actually crossing it and when you think about that that's really a legalistic mindset because it's it's not about what is really the best that God wants for us. It's not asking that question, but you're asking about how we can actually right. move ourselves as close to sin as we can without actually committing sin. And and I think that's right. actually an example of how the gospel doesn't really change, it doesn't transform our hearts. Because when gospel transforms our hearts, it's not only just that we want to do what is, it's not that we have to do what is right. In fact, you become someone who wants to do what is right because that's actually part of how God changes your heart as well when you are actually um, really seeing the grace of God. Um, and maybe very quickly, um, we are running a bit out of time, but what are some of the ways then actually I think that church leaders can really help in building a gospel-shaped church culture? Uh, I think that one of the things that we're trying to learn to do as a church, I don't know if we do this well, but I think leaders need to really model um, the gospel in their own hearts and lives. And I think that means mm-hmm. 
really modeling repentance and faith, being quick to mm-hmm. repent, quick to apologize, mm-hmm. showing our own sins, confessing them, um, and then showing that we're turning from that. I think actually that's one of the most powerful things that churches right. can do to start this, right? Even before you start talking, preaching about it, you start to model this in your own heart and life. It's so jarring often to people who expect leaders to be up on a pedestal. So I think that's probably the first thing that I would say. What mm. what did you say about leaders, Ed, that you've noticed? I think I absolutely agree with what you said. I mean, it doesn't mean that we are we can be foolish in how we confess our sins in different uh, settings. But right. I think that if we never actually confess our sins, we are actually showing people that we don't need the gospel. But I think one of the right. important things is to show people that we ourselves are actually needed of the gospel regularly and daily. I think another aspect of for leaders would be that we are self-consciously under shepherds um, in a sense that we are not, okay, although we do surface leaders, but we are not the ultimate one who is leading the church. Right. Jesus Christ is our head of the church. Um, and I think that speaks to another aspect as well, which is uh, we are primarily first sons and daughters of God. We are we are Christians. And so we actually relate to each other primarily first as brothers and sisters. I mean, if you think about it, that's a relationship that carries into eternity. But uh, our our functions that we, we rose to serve in church, whether it's as leaders, whether it's elders or pastors, that's actually transient. So I think that informs into some of the relational dynamics we actually have with our brothers and sisters in church in how we actually talk to them. We should, you know, I, I think rather than thinking that, you know, I'm always talking to you in a position of, a lead, from a leadership position, I, I think. That's right. So as leaders, we would constantly remind ourselves that we um, are under shepherds, that we we talk about our relationship to others in the church as brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And we try and have that as the main category that we're operating from. Right. And then within that, yeah, we do have a responsibility to lead and mm. guide and shepherd. Um, but that's not the main way of thinking about ourselves. That's really, really mm. good. I think a, a, another way we can help develop a gospel-shaped culture mm-hmm. is to try and teach in a way that connects the dots all the time between the gospel and its implications. Right. So we are always showing how the imperative of the text is linked to the indicative mm-hmm. who God is, what he's done for us in mm-hmm. Christ. And just to do that again and again and again um, and again. So that's another example I have. Do you have maybe one final one before we wrap yep. up? Um, we've mentioned this before, but it's very important for us to think about how we are actually motivating people to do things in church, whether it's to evangelize, whether it's to pray, whether it's to disciple one another. And, um, Let's be careful. It's not only just teaching. I think it's important for us to actually connect the dots all the time. But it's also in terms of um, actions. How, what do we reward? What do we celebrate? What do we actually uh, love? And, and I think, for example, do we only talk about like um, successful evangelistic uh, testimonies? Or do we also have right. testimonies that have people sharing like, I've been faithful evangelizing. I've seen no fruit, but um, God is really helping me to be faithful in doing this work. You know, I th- that can be encouraging too. When, when we do that, we're actually sending signals that what we really want is actually gospel fruit and not just um, what the world s- celebrates. And um, yeah, and, and, and folks, thanks for joining us today uh, in this episode of uh, Gospel Central. We hope that what we shared with you is helpful. And thanks for joining us, Simon. 
Ed, um, one thing maybe before our, our, our listeners go, um, sometimes in these episodes we do refer to different uh, resources or documents, so you can go to the website gospelcentral.org and you can just find any resources that we mention on the episode um, listed there, but otherwise uh, hope that everyone stays well and look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, see you.